we left you at a cliffhanger last week, so we need to get back onto this. For a thousand years, literally a thousand years, the Bible had been locked up. The people could not read it. Most people couldn't read, and those that could read didn't read Latin. Latin had not been spoken for about 900 years, and in, in that's, that's overstatement, 800 years among the common folk. Latin went down when Rome went down. And then other languages popped up, but um, that's another story. We brought up last week, we are not anti-Catholic, but part of the story is that the officials of the Catholic Church locked down everything. Sex, education, uh, literature, um, politics, everything was locked down. But then something happened. It happened starting in 1348 when a comet streaked across the sky. And the people had always thought that when a comet comes, that means bad things. And so it did. The Black Death came, the bubonic plague. You could wake up one day with a fever and be dead by nightfall. It spread so much that it killed 70% of the population in many places in Europe. If you've ever been to Europe, if you go to an old graveyard and you see a skull with crossbones underneath, what that means is plague death. That's uh, how they denote it. It doesn't mean pirate. It means they died as a plague victim. One young man in Oxford, England, survived that first five years of the plague. Oxford had dropped in population because of death, not moving, from 15,000 to 3,500. That's how many died. Well, while he was there, John Wycliffe decided he needed to figure out what God was doing and why. He'd learned Latin because you did that at university. And while watching 70% of, of Oxford die, he wrestled with questions about faith and God and evil and life. Despairing, he turned to scriptures and he read them. And he became enraged. Instead of his, his questions being answered, he became angry. He began to talk to his students. Because back then, after you'd been there a couple of years, you taught as you continued to go. And he had students at this time. He taught them and, and it, it attacked the doctrine of transubstantiation, that the, um, the bread and the cup become the literal body and blood of Jesus, and that you can't touch it because you're not holy, but the priests can touch it, but they have to say special prayers and all that sort of thing. He attacked that. He said, that's not in Scripture. He called it mythology and paganism. He attacked the elevation of Mary into the Theotokos, the mother of God, that made her the object of worship. He attacked the statues. Well, the Catholic Church wasn't going to have this. They went after him. But please remember... They were also weakened. The plague had taken about 70% of their priests and bishops and military arms as well. So they could not get to him because Oxford is not a walled city, but a lot of the universities have quads. Have you ever heard of the quad? Americans have quads, don't you? Yeah. But generally in Britain, a quad is walled on all sides. And to enter it, you have to have access to one of the buildings. And the students loved him. So the students would not let the officers of the church in. 
So he stayed within the walls of Oxford, studied and taught his way upward, became the, pro the, the president of Balliol College. Looks like Belial, but it's pronounced Balliol. Um, Belial would be a bad guy in the scripture. Uh, Balliol College, and he was called, quote, the most learned man of his time. So he decided to use that position to attack illiterate clergy, the selling of priesthoods, the selling of bishoprics, that's uh, the office of bishop, and the locking away of the Bible. Let me explain the selling, because we haven't talked about that. Until the end of the Napoleonic Wars and the start of World War I, in Britain, for example, in the army, you bought your commission. So I might have a son, let's say, who knows nothing about military, doesn't even know what in the bullet comes out the gun. But I'm a lord, or I'm an earl, or a duke, or something like this, and I pay the money, and he becomes an ensign, the, the lowest officer rank. And whenever he's served for a while, there are two ways to move up. One is a guy ahead of you gets killed, which happened a lot. The other is to pay. And sometimes people would pay for a 17-year-old didn't know what he was doing, and all of a sudden he's a major. You ever wondered why the British lost so many battles? That's one of them. And in World War I, we still weren't entirely out of that program. Uh, it wasn't so much Sandhurst, the military college, it was who had the money. And that's why a bunch of English guys sitting in huts drinking tea kept thinking, you know, it'd, you know, it'd be a lovely idea. Let's all the men just jump out of the trench and rush across a mile of open ground to the machine guns. And so hundreds of thousands died. Well, the church had that idea. Everybody did that. You sold royal titles, you sold military ranks, and you sold positions. So you had atheists who were priests and bishops. Why would they want to be priests and bishops? Because that's where the money was. That's where the power was. Wycliffe went after that, and for that he was named an official enemy of the church. Well, his king, his position had gotten difficult because his king, Richard, was off on a crusade. Richard would have protected him, but Richard was away. There is a mythology built around that time that you've heard of, about a man doing noble things against the, the powers that are entrenched, but he has to hide his outlaw because his king is away. Robin the hood. That's why we call criminals hoods to this day. The hood. Because he wore a cloak, a, a hooded cloak. Um, probably didn't exist, certainly not in that form, but that was actually a common myth as a metaphor with the fight of Wycliffe against the church. Had Richard been home, or Richard was off on a crusade. Um, anyway, the establishment at Oxford was getting afraid by this time because they knew they couldn't hold out the plague was dying down which means the church was getting stronger so they wanted Wycliffe just to go away and here's a sad thing a lot of times people don't really fight for what is right they just want to fight for peace so let's just, just let it go away and so they decided to send Wycliffe away well he, he had to go so he went to the village of Luddersworth, and there in 1375 set up a church. Again, the church was not strong enough to go get him yet. And there he translated sections of scripture. It was the first time 
in over 1,000 years that Scripture was translated into the language of the people around that could read it. Not just English. It wasn't translated into Russian. It wasn't translated into German. This is the first time. And he didn't do all of it. He did sections. And then he gave it to his students and said, quickly, take it, get out of Luttersworth, make copies, and take it and make copies, and keep telling people, take it and make copies. Many of these young people were captured, tortured, imprisoned by secular authorities under the orders of the church. Many were burned to death for having a Bible or section. By the way, transcribing, transcribing a Bible by hand is extremely tedious. It cost a lot of time, a lot of ink, and a lot of paper. On average, it took a copier who was good at his job 18 months to make one copy of Scripture. They had to rush to get anything out. Only a handful of Bibles have been translated by the time that John Wycliffe died, natural causes, on December 31st, 1384. The copies were on the move, but the agents of Rome were everywhere. The spies were everywhere to get these scriptures and burn them and kill the people that had them. But the rallying, rallying cry of those that followed Wycliffe was Romans 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? The Roman church knew they could not just win by spies and laws. They also had to win in the court of the people. So they developed a nickname for those that followed uh, Wycliffe, Lollards, L-O-L-L-A-R-D-S. That means nothing to us, but it means uneducated, bumpkin, stupid. And that's exactly what politicians do to this very day. If they can't out-argue, what they do is they name-call the other one. And it will go back and forth. We see it in debates and such. We see it in commercials. So they called them the uneducated, the uncouth simpletons, idiots. The word is in Old English was, or Medieval English, was lollard. They decided just to wear it proudly. By the way, you lot learned something from that. And that's why whenever the British sang a song about you being so stupid, you didn't even know what to do with your hands or your hat, they were singing about you being a Yankee doodle. And you were then referred to yourself as Yankees until that unpleasantness 100 years ago. Um, or you don't anymore, got it. You know, don't come correct me later. Um, the point being, they took a, a something which was supposed to be derogatory, kind of like, and again, I don't want to be political, I've seen people wearing T-shirts uh, that have the, 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 um, the barricade scene from Les Miserables that says Les Deplorables because one candidate called the other group Deplorables. They're saying, all right, so we are. You know, that sort of thing. Wycliffe did not release the Bible in English. You got to get that. He merely started it. It would be centuries before an Englishman could read the Bible in his own language, start to back. But this was the first move of God. I want to ask you a question. Were all those people lost forever because they didn't have all the Bible? I was raised to say yes, 
but that somewhere out there there was a true church that history has forgotten about. Well, that's a myth. We can't, if, you, if it's not out there, you can't take that on faith. I believe they were saved because they walked by the light they had. That's what Alexander Campbell, who started this congregation, said. He said, you, have to, you are required to walk by the light that you have. You're not required to walk by the light you don't have. I think that was a very wise thing to say. Let's just leave it at that. Well, those who followed him called for a reform of the church, not throw, overthrow the Catholic church. To them, that was the church. They just wanted it reformed and to return to the life and teaching of Jesus, which included simple living, not the rich priests and bishops, simple living, charity, and moral living. Well, that just wasn't going to be accepted. This battle cry for the end of Rome's control over the local church added something else. You've heard, in fact, something Wycliffe said. He said that government should be by the people, of the people, and for the people. He was the first one in history that we can find to say that the people have the right to run their own affairs. Wow. He started quite a lot, didn't he? For a guy that most people have never heard of. Um, the agents of Rome were everywhere. If you've never read it, read, read Alexandre Dumas' um, The Three Musketeers. It can be difficult to keep track of everything because everybody you think should be good is bad. There's subsections that you, I, it goes back and forth. The agents of Rome are everywhere. That's the world that they're living in. How angry was Rome at him? They could finally get up enough strength to put him on trial 41 years after he died. They dug up his bones. They held a trial. They found him guilty. And they burned his bones and scattered the ashes in a river. That's how angry the Roman church was with John Wycliffe. Well, we have to step into another story here that's very important to our larger story, but has nothing to do with translation of Scripture. But I'm sorry, you can't get to translation of Scripture without this next story, Jan Hus, sometimes called John Hus in our books. Jan Hus was born in Bohemia. That's a part of the Czech Republic today. In 1369, he was only 15 years old when Wycliffe died. He had no idea who Wycliffe was, but their lives were about to intersect in ways nobody could have seen coming but God. It, in fact, what happened with Wycliffe when John Huss's life intersected would open the door 100 years later to the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. But it all started backstream. He was a singer as a teenager, a singer in church, because that was the only kind of songs you could have. You know the song, uh, Green Sleeves? Right? It has, it's quoted in Shakespeare. That's why most people know it. Same tune as, um, as a great carol that we often sing. But Green Sleeves was looked upon to be exceptionally naughty. And I've read those lyrics. <laughs> First time I heard that, I was in, I think, junior high. And I kept reading it. All right, where's the naughty bits? It was naughty because it wasn't a church song. You're not allowed to sing songs that aren't church songs. Next thing you know, you'll be saying, hey, nonny, nonny, and that, was, you know, that leads to the NIV. And anyway, um, so he was a singer in church in Prague 
He studied to be a priest, and he got his master's degree in 1396, ordained as a priest four years later, 1400. Now, Columbus won't sell the ocean blue for another 100 years, 92 years. So 1400, and he was already preaching for reform. Well, where did he get the idea that that was a good idea? He'd found notes written by Wycliffe students 30 years earlier that had made their way into Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic. Reading those had convinced him, even though he wasn't English, that knew about a Wycliffe from anybody, that this is right and this has got to start. What a brave thing to stand up in the middle of a college of lions and say, no, we're not having this. We're not doing this. Well, he even wrote one of Wycliffe's important works, Triologos is what it's called, into Czech and distributed it around the nation. And that did not go over well because the main targets in that sermon were the moral failings of clergy, bishops, including popes. Oh, Pope Innocent didn't like that. That was his name. That was not his character. Pope Innocent VII directed an archbishop to counter Huss in 1405. He'd only been at it five years. And an archbishop has been assigned to take you down. Well, right after that, Huss was brought a document from Oxford University that praised Wycliffe. And he read it from the pulpit out loud to the people. The new pope, you got a lot of popes, and brace yourself because a burst is coming. Gregory XII declared Huss's teaching heresy. That's a death penalty. It is heresy. And then attacked the king who protected Huss, who was calling for reform. And to this very day, you call that king good. Wenceslas. Good king Wenceslas looked out on it. By the way, he wasn't a good king. He's lousy. But he did a couple of good things. This is one of them. Uh, the archbishop and the pope went after King Wenceslas because he allowed Huss to teach. Well, the king buckled under the pressure and ordered all of Huss's work surrendered and taken to the archbishop for correction. But then something happened to the papacy, the popes. If you don't know this period of history, it's kind of fun, but it's a little confusing too. So I'm going to try to make it fun and not confusing but I'm not going to succeed. 1408, the Roman church entered a crisis. Gregory Twelfth was pope, but he wasn't the only pope. Half the church split and said, he's not the pope. Benedict Thirteenth is pope. Well, Gregory wasn't going to get out of his chair in Rome, so they moved up to France, Avignon. Now you had two popes in the Catholic church. Roughly the same amount of people and armies back in each of them. King Wenceslas was already a bit sideways with Pope Gregory, and Wenceslas wanted something. He wanted to become the Holy Roman Empire. Briefly, when the Roman Empire fell, the Catholic Church grew and became the secular-slash-religious authority, and they referred to that conglomeration as the Holy Roman Empire. And as one famous wag put it, the Holy Roman Empire 
was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. But other than that, it was named correctly. Wenceslaus wanted that job. He wanted to be king of the, or emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. So, since Gregory didn't like him, he went over to Benedict, the French Pope. Well, he denounced Gregory, he denounced uh, all that other, and his staff wouldn't put up with it. The university of Prague emptied. When, when I say emptied, historians differ. The number is a wide differentiation. Between 5,000 and 20,000 students and faculty walked out because they wanted to stick with Gregory. Those, they walked out, and by the way, they established the University of Leipzig, or Leipzig, uh, which is still there. Huss stayed in the University of Prague, and guess what? All those guys leaving? Man, he was now the top guy there. So he just used it as a platform. He became rector of the, the university and taught Wycliffe. He was really an apostle of Wycliffe. That's all of his life. Everything he could find, he wrote it, he redid it, and he sent it out. Wycliffe's teaching that looked like it died with him in a tiny little village of no concern, Luttersworth, was blossoming well over a thousand miles away in the middle of the Carpathian Mountains. Well, at the same time, there was a synod. The Council of Pisa declared a third pope. They got together to figure out who the real pope was and ended up with another one. So now you had three popes and they all excommunicated each other. So how, how do you know who's going to get you into heaven? This was a crisis they never had. Third pope was named Alexander V. He decided to take decisive action to prove he was really the, in charge of the, uh, the faith. So he, entered, he issued a papal bull, that's a, um, an edict, an order, an executive order, right? To attack Wycliffeism in Prague and throughout the nation. All copies of his books are to be surrendered. His doctrines repudiated, which means if you had a copy, you had to stand before the court and say you had sinned, and you no longer believe what's in these. And if you don't repudiate, you are to be killed. All free preaching would be banned. I'll explain. You could not preach without a license to preach. The license was given to you by, guess who? The church. If they didn't give you a license, you're not allowed to preach. That's called free preaching. It's always fun I, I'll get these calls every so often. Not so much now, but it used to be when people would make up a neighborhood directory and they'd call and they'd say, um, you know, this, that, or the other about your church. By the way, those are the, those are the popes. So pick your poison. Um, they, they'd say, and who ordained you? I know what they mean. I always want to say Jesus. And then they'll say, but where? Around Gethsemane? Um, I know what they mean, and so I don't, I don't play with them. I'll just explain. We have no formal ordination process, but most churches do. You have to have a license to preach. So no free preaching or you'd be killed. So now it gets more complicated. <laughs> Sorry. The third pope, Alexander, dies in 1411. So another pope, John XXIII, was created. Both Alexander and John XXIII would later be called anti-popes because Rome won eventually, but it took a long time. So, third pope decides to launch a crusade against Pope Gregory in Rome. 
Now, they're doing crusades against the Muslims, but now it's a crusade against Rome. To raise money, he sold indulgences. Do you remember that last week? Indulgences. Priests were all required to be salesmen, and they had their quota. You'd better sell enough. Think of how weird this is. This is a licensed to sin or payment for forgiveness of a sin you've already done. Think about it, guys. What if you had a few licenses that you already paid for to murder your wife? Every time she said no to anything, you just kind of free pass. You know, some of you guys are thinking, cool. No, not cool. Very wrong. Very sinful in all ways, shapes, and forms. But they had to sell. People that are supposed to get you to heaven are trying to have a quota to sell you to let you do enough sins to get money to come do a crusade for the church and holy things. See how dirty things get? Things get dirty pretty fast. Well, some of Huss's followers were gathered in a public square and they burned the order from the Pope. And they called people, follow Huss, instead of the adulterers and Simonists, that would mean um, greedy people. And that was, that was a, a racist term because they referred to Jews as Simons. And Simonists and Simonism and uh, all of that was considered charging interest and that sort of thing. So it's a racist term. But they said, don't follow the greedy people and adulterers in a church. Well, the church moved quickly. Three of the people that burned it were beheaded publicly. Later, they would be called the first martyrs of the Hussite church. They were, in reality, the first martyrs of the Protestant Reformation, though none considered leaving the church. They just wanted it cleaned up. Then, what about King Wenceslaus? I hear you cry. Well, he went along with the people. He said, it's time to clean up the church. Why? Because he wanted to be in charge of it one day. And he thought, if I can get the people behind me, I can do it. So he called a, an assembly of bishops. They didn't go anywhere. The people of Bohemia, uh, that area of Czech Republic, were all about Hus. And guess what else he taught? Freedom, independence. Basically, the Declaration of Independence. He taught that because he got it from Wycliffe. He taught that we need to be separate from church rule. Church, states should have the right to rule their own affairs, and people should be free within the states. That was considered blasphemy. People rioted in the streets against the king and the pope, and it, just, it was one mob against another mob. The pope responded with an interdict against Prague, a death sentence which means you cannot do business with them. You cannot do business with anybody from there. You cannot feed anybody who comes from Prague. No food's allowed to go into there. It was a death sentence. To protect the city, Huss decided he needed to leave. But before he did, he preached a sermon saying, accept Jesus as the supreme head of the church. Not a man, but Jesus. Doesn't sound too dramatic to us. As far as I can tell, that's the first time that was ever preached in history after Constantine. That's 1,100 years. Well, it nullified the laws. It nullified the structure of the medieval church. For the Bohemian Reformation, this would be the same as 95 years later, Martin Luther nailing to the wall of the Wittenberg church his 95 theses, attacking 
corruption in the church. Now Huss is on the run. Traveling through the Czech countryside, he writes his books in Czech on basic Christian teaching and gets them into the hands of as many people as possible. In fact, priests wanted them because they didn't know anything about Scripture. They didn't know anything about what to do. So they would treasure these things. And eventually they would leave their Catholicism and teach something else because they're getting these little tracks, these little brochures. We have these books today. Frankly, they are rewritings of Wycliffe's sermons. Truly, I don't, I cannot find anything in Huss that he came up with on his own. That's not an insult. What I'm saying is God did not let Wycliffe's teaching die December 31st, 1384. It sprang up anew on the continent. Prague was overrun with people who said freedom. Now, Wenceslaus, King Wenceslaus, remember him, had a brother, Sigismund of Hungary. He wanted to be holy in the Roman Empire too. He was king of the Romans already, and he decided to take action, and he called this ecumenical council, and he called for Hus to be there, and he promised him safe conduct. We won't let anybody hurt you. Well, he arrived, and after arrival, we should have a slide for that, slide 13. Do we have that? I'm kind of wondering all over. Thank you. He was allowed to be, he debated the, the champions of the church, he was allowed to be free at first, but in December 6th, 1414, Sigismund threw him into the dungeon. I'm sorry, the church threw him into the dungeon. Sigismund protested, but the church authorities said, we know you promised, but don't worry about that. You're not bound by promises made to heretics. Official Catholic doctrine, until at least Vatican II, and there are those that argue that it's still there, I don't think it's still there. But it, uh, up till um, Vatican II was mental reservation. Have you heard the doctrine of mental reservation? That means that you can make a promise or say a lie as long as in your heart you know what the right thing is, but you can say a wrong thing. Um, those of you that were alive in the 60s, that was a slander that was thrown constantly at John F. Kennedy. You know, you can't have a Catholic because he will say, I swear to uphold, but the doctrine of mental reservation means he can hand us over to the Pope. Remember those? Those of you who lived in that time? Tracks and radio shows are about that. Uh, it was a slander, but that was often taught. The trial went on without Huss. He was not allowed to speak in his own defense. For 73 days, he was separated from his friends, poorly fed, chained day and night, beaten and sick. He was eventually hauled into court for the charges to be read against him. He said he would not deny anything. He would not repudiate anything unless it could be shown to him that he was wrong by referencing Scripture. Sounds like one of us, doesn't it? Threatened with death, he said, I can only hope that my soul is worthy to go to the same home as John Wycliffe's soul. The trial was a sham. It only continued a few more days. He was at last read in and named, read the sentence, execution. He was stripped publicly of his priestly garment. His priestly tonsure, I don't want to go into that. 
they had a hairdo that they thought was more holy, and they treated it very, very importantly. And so I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying they had. And they shaved that to shame him as well. They um, put a tall paper hat on him, the dunce cap. That came from inquisitor's courts. You're an idiot because you disagree with us. Just like a politician. You're an idiot because you disagree with us. On the hat, it said, the leader of a heretical movement. He was led to a stake where after he prayed, his neck and hands were chained to the stake, wood and straw piled up along with his writings and the writings of Wycliffe. And he was burned to death. The people revolted. Wars between the Hussites and the Catholics broke out. Four crusades were launched against the Hussites. I bet you hadn't heard of those, had you? We say crusades, we always think of, but there are a lot of crusades against other kinds of Christians. Cathars, Albigensians, this as well. Four crusades, but the Hussites fought them all off. A hundred years after they burned John Huss, 90% of all people in the Czech Republic were Hussites. Now think of that. We're going to start the next set of notes, if we could, please. Wycliffe and Huss had several goals in common, all of which were new, all of which were very frightening to the powers that be. They believed in freedom for the common man, for division between the church and the state, each free to run their own affairs, and for the need to release the scripture into the world. Wycliffe is given a name by historians, the morning star of the Reformation. Now why? Morning star gives light, it shows up first, but it doesn't give you enough light. But it's a herald that more light is coming. The light he lit would eventually start a fire, but it would be a hundred years before Martin Luther. This is going to take a while. I would submit to you that if we had to be saved by having the scripture and knowing it perfectly, God would have sped that up. But God's not panicked. He knows his own. So, these are not political re rebels in the sense that Declaration of Independence were political rebels. They weren't that. They believed that nations were best run by nobles. They still believe that God ordained nobility to run the affairs. But they didn't believe that they should be run by the nobles of another nation, Rome. They should be run by their own nobles. One of John Wycliffe's students was named John Purvey. Oh, oh by the way, the dunce cap, we talked about that. Um, when they burned him, they, they called him the most derogatory name they could think of. If you want to see the burning of John Huss in paintings, look up the burning of the goose. You silly goose. It comes from, it was the worst thing you could call somebody. They were an absolute idiot. Goose. So all of that comes from this time. Uh, Wycliffe student John Purvey, he continued to translate scripture. He contributed uh, to distribute scripture portions, spread them secretly. He also published some of Wycliffe's sermons, all done by hand, remember. One of these sermons was called The Wicket. Okay, I can't explain cricket. Truly, I can't explain it. In cricket, the, the, the goal of the batter is to protect the wicket. Don't let the ball pass through. 
All right, so there are three sticks with two little sticks on top. If a ball touches him and the sticks fall, he's out, right? His job is to protect that from the bowler with the ball. That said, the wicket, in other words, is the gate. This is what has to be protected. And it dealt with the Lord's Supper. He said it should be given back to you. The people should have the Lord's Supper. It's not an altar. The table is not an altar. It's a family table. You know, when I said that two years ago when I got here, some people thought that was radical. People, that was radical in 1400. It's not radical today. It's just amazing how long it takes us to learn our lessons. Something else is very interesting going on here. I've only got a few minutes left. They were, as all of these scripture things were going around, they were doing something else. They were standardizing English. Because until that time, there was no accepted way to spell English. No grammatical rules. Between Wycliffe and Chaucer, English became for the first time a language which somebody could write in London and read in York and take with them and hand to somebody in Cornwall and they would understand it as well. That was not true about English until Wycliffe and Chaucer. And all these streams coming together. And that ignited a hunger among the people to learn to read. And now they needed reading material. More scripture. More sermons. It was a nationwide learning renaissance that led in time to the abolishment of the feudal system. Because once somebody could read, they were the equal to anybody. I'll tell a story here. I'm going to end right here. I'm not going to go to slide three. Um... We lived in West Virginia for eight years. Wonderful people, absolutely wonderful. We lived on a mountain outside the city of Morgantown. Um, that road was the first road closed every time it snowed. Summer school road, because summer school was there, little elementary. The teachers asked me to come, talk to the elementary students from time to time, and I came once and showed them a bunch of pictures of Scotland. I had slides, remember slides? and a projector, and showed them all these slides, and I showed them slides of other countries. And one of the kids, probably two or three, uh, or the second or third grade, said, how do you get to go to all these places? And I said, I'm glad you asked. He said, I said, because I read. They got real quiet in the room. I said, the more you read, the more things you know, and people need to know what you know. So they will pay for you to come to them all over the world to tell them what they need to know. If you don't like reading, you're going to be stuck right here on this mountain, never able really to do much with your life. Now what you're reading, you might not even enjoy, but if you can learn it, it'll move you. It'll take you places. The teachers were overwhelmed by that. They liked that. And they had me come back several other times to talk to the kids about reading. It was reading that unleashed the gospel and unleashed the common man. And the reason why you're not stuck in whatever family you were born in to do that job all of your life, like we have a, a shepherd here named Charpentier, carpenter. Well, once upon his time, his family were carpenters. He couldn't grow up and say, you know what I'd like to be? Doctor. No. You're carpenters. That's what your family is. And you serve that Lord 
in that manor house over there. And he can come take your stuff if he wants it because he's the Lord and you're not. All of that ended because Scripture, Wycliffe, Huss, Purvey. By the way, don't think, or since we're making all these links, that the term perv comes from that. No, that's perversion. It's another word. Pervy. Looking forward to next week when we introduce you to one of the major heroes of getting the Bible into English. Hope you're enjoying this.